Good morning and welcome to Essex Church, where our community of Kensington Unitarians meets every week for worship. And every week our community is formed anew by everybody who comes through our doors. Whether you're here for the first time, whether you're here regularly, whether you're a visitor, welcome home. Today's service is slightly different. It's going to be a multilingual service. Some of it will not be translated. Some of it will be. But whenever we're going to go into a non-translated portion, I will tell you what is going to be said so you're not sitting in mystery. As we do that, we'll be looking at the great Englishman William Tyndall, who was the first man to translate the Bible into English and did huge amounts through the Reformation for literacy and the promotion of the English language. First of all, though, we need to light our chalice. This week we're going to light it in German. We're going to light it for that life light which is in all of us. Diese Flamme ist ein Symbol für die Lebensenergie, die in uns steckt und uns umgibt. Sie gibt uns die Freiheit, einander Wärme zu schenken und voneinander Geschenke anzunehmen. I have in English a prayer by Harry Lismer Short, who was the principal of Manchester College, Oxford. It's a prayer for a new year. Divine Spirit, here at the beginning of a new year we are waiting, ready to step forward into the unknown future. The past is past. We cannot alter it now. That book is closed. It gave us many things to be glad about, and we're grateful. It gave us other things which gave us cause for sorrow and repentance, and we are truly sorry. But only the future is free. Humbly, we accept the gift of unused minutes and hours and days and years, praying that we might use them rightly. We think of the circumstances in which we shall use them, there are our private lives, that inner world in which each of us lives alone, a world of thoughts and impulses and emotions, which is the hidden source of our outward actions. So often it is a realm of idleness and squalor. We pray for inward renewal, which will bring our tarnished souls nearer to the ideals we claim to follow. <coughs> We pray for a stiffening of inward fibre, a heart of flesh and not of stone. But the inward reveals itself in the outward. The springs of action within our souls have their effect in the outer world of conduct and relationships. We hold before our mind's eye the little world of every day in which we live, our daily work, our loved companions, our responsibilities. May there be strength and gentleness and creative newness here. We think of the wider world of which we are a part, our city, our native land, 
the family of humankind. Sometimes we think we can do little there. What is one person amidst boundless creation? Yet out of our lives flows something into the wider world, some gift of good or ill. We shall pass through this world but once. If there is any good we can do or any kindness we can show to man or woman or beast, let us do it now. Let us not neglect or defer it, for we shall not pass this way again. Amen. So for our first reading, both of the readings today are from the Bible, um, although not in English. This is the Tower of Babel, a story that many of us will know. There are some people who settled in a valley of Shinar and decided to build a tower that would reach up to God into the heavens. And as we can imagine, this did not please God very much. And so he came down from the heavens and noticed that they were able to cooperate because they all spoke the same language. And he created mystery amongst their languages and scattered them all over the earth. So I'm going to read this story for you today. And as I do, imagine what would happen if we all spoke the same language. Imagine how it would affect our political lives, our lives around each other. And then just think what happens when we go outside of this building or of our homes into the streets of this multicultural, multilingual city where we hear any number of languages as we walk down the street. This is in Swedish, and you don't have to go very far in London to hear Swedish spoken. I can tell you that it gets you into trouble sometimes when you're saying things behind people's backs. Hela jorden hade samma språk och samma ord. När människorna flyttade österut fann de en dal i Kina där de satte sig. Nu ska vi slå tegel och bränna det, sade de till varandra. De använde tegel som byggsten och som möbruk använde de bäck. De sade, låt oss bygga en stad med ett dom som når ända upp i himlen. Vårt namn blir känt och vi slipper vara skingrade över hela jorden. Då steg herren ner för att se staden och tornet som människorna byggde. Herren sade, de är ett enda folk och har alla samma språk. Det är bara början. Nu är ingenting möjligt för dem vad de än föresätter sig. Låt det stiga ner och skapa förvirring i deras språk så att den ena inte förstår vad den andra säger. Och Herren kingrade dem från denna plats utöver hela jorden. Och de slutade att bygga på staden. Därför kallas den Babel. Till där skapade Herren språkförbistringen på jorden. Och därifrån kingrade han människorna ut över hela jorden. The second reading comes from the book of Acts. And this is a story of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down and alights on the heads of the apostles as flames of fire. 
And all of a sudden they begin to speak in different languages and are understood by all who are around them, no matter which language they are. And there is quite a list in here of the places where these people come from. This was the first thing I ever had to read in a church in English. And I remember being quite intimidated by the list at the time. But nearly laughing myself silly at the end of the reading, when a doubter stands up and says, Oh, they've just had too much sweet wine to drink. And Peter, being Peter, stands up and says, I'll tell you what's happening. We can't possibly be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. So he's not being to Leeds. <laughs> so we have the Acts, oh, from the Acts of the Apostles, and because of William Tyndale, I'll read this in Dutch. Op de pinkste dag waren ze allemaal bij elkaar gekomen. In eens kwamen uit de hemel in geluid, alsof er een storm opstak. Het was in het hele huis te horen. Ze zagen iets wat op weur leek, vlamen die zich boven ieder van hen verspreiden. Ze waren allemaal gewold met de Heilige Geest en begonnen in vreemde talen te spreken, woorden die de Heilige Geest hun ingaf. In die dagen waren er in Jeruzalem vele gelovige Joden uit alle landen van de wereld. Toen zij het geluid hoorden, liepen ze allemaal te hoop. Zij raakten in verwarring, omdat ieder van hen de apostelen in zijn eigen taal hoorde spreken. Zij begrepen er niets van. Dat zijn toch mannen uit Galilea, riepen ze verbaasd uit. Hoe kan het dan dat ze onze taal spreken en nog andere talen ook? Kijk eens waar we overal vandaan komen. Uit Parthia, Media, Elam en Mesopotamia. Uit Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia en Pamphylia. Uit Egypte en de streek van Cyrene in Libië. Er zijn hier Joden en Joodsverkeerlingen uit Rome, Kreta en Arabië. Hoe bestaat het dat ieder van ons in zijn eigen taal hoort over de geweldige dingen die God gedaan heeft? Zij stonden aan de grond genageld en wisten niet wat ze ervan moesten denken. Zij zeiden tegen elkaar, wat heeft dit toch te betekenen? Och, die mensen hebben te veel zoete wijn gedronken, lachten sommige schampen. De twaalf apostelen stonden op en Petrus nam het woord. Mannen van Israël, riep hij, inwoners en bezoekers van Jeruzalem, luister. Ik zal u uitleggen wat hier gebeurd is. We zijn helemaal niet dronken. De dag is nog maar net begonnen. Het is pas negen uur. If you've ever spent more than about five minutes talking to me, or paid attention to the languages of the books I inevitably have under my arm, you'll know about my passion for languages. I think I can safely say it's one of the few things I'm really passionate about. At home, I function in English only with my partner. My own world is a blend of European tongues. 
in the States when I was at school. Learning a second language didn't begin until about 12. I think I was seriously disadvantaged. I have an aptitude for learning, and the earlier I had started, the happier I would have been. To me, dictionaries are poetry. Verb tables are more entertaining than any crossword, and examining archaic conjugations in Selma Lagerlöf is a joy. Don't get me started on phonetics, searching for idioms, or that book of books, a grammar. So when I first encountered William Tyndall, I was amazed by the charisma reaching out across time and space. I immediately fell in love. He was a reformer and a linguist. He preached salvation by faith rather than by works, and he denounced prayer to the saints. He was born in about 1490, probably in Gloucestershire, and he was a priest and theologian, doubling as a talented linguist. He was fluent in Greek, French, Latin, Spanish, Hebrew, German, Italian, and English, of course. As a theologian, his, his views were often on the fringes, and he was described as a learned but blasphemous priest who is dissatisfied that his theological education required no study of the Bible and resolved to make it accessible to the common person, echoing what would become in 1536 one of the 39 articles of religion in the Anglican Church saying that it is plainly repugnant to speak in church in a tongue not understanded of the congregation. In 1523, he came to London, seeking permission from the Crown to translate the Bible into English. But his ideas had little support, even from those close to him. Rather desperate, he left for Germany, where he began to work, which was then smuggled back into England and to Scotland. Warnings were issued by the authorities, with orders to burn copies of Tyndale's work. And when people, even those who were against him, saw the Bible being burned, they began to think again. But the pull of the church was too strong, and he was marked a heretic in 1529. That wasn't the direct cause of his murder. William Tyndale opposed Henry VIII's divorce, saying it was against scripture, and it was a plot by Cardinal Wolsey to get the king tangled up in the courts of Rome. The king asked the emperor to have William Tyndale arrested, but his request was refused because of want of evidence. William Tyndale and Thomas More then began a several-volume exchange. Thomas More's was six volumes of reply. Thomas More confirmed William Tyndale's heresy. And so he was betrayed by a friend and arrested in Antwerp in 1535 and sentenced to death, despite Thomas Cromwell intervening on his behalf. He was strangled at the stake and burned. Four years later, royal decree required the translation of the Bible into English. Between 75 and 85 percent of that English version was his and, I don't know if I dare say this, my grandfather was a Shakespeare teacher, he might haunt me. He probably had an effect on English which is greater than that of Shakespeare. He introduced many phrases in his translation of the Bible which are part of our everyday language. The powers that be. A sign of the times. 
the salt of the earth, and a law unto themselves. He also made some words, Jehovah, Passover, scapegoat. He drove forward one of the forward, drove forward one of the greatest achievements of the Reformation, literacy. So next time you're walking along embankment, stop into Victoria Embankment Gardens. There is a wonderful statue of him there, beautifully appointed with his Bible at hand, leaning on a printing press. It's sadly ironic, though, that a man of languages was arrested and murdered in Belgium. Today, that country is rent by language strife between Dutch-speaking Flandre and the Francophone Wallonie. It took more than 500 days after the last general election to form a government, mainly due to divisions in language. A town in Flandre has recently been in the press for outlawing the public use of French, a sign that Belgium's provinces sit on a very fine point. I too have been given rather disdainful looks in Brussels, the only officially bilingual part of the country, when I forgot every word of French and ended up speaking Dutch in the wrong restaurant. It was after nine in the morning, though. <laughs> Luckily, community groups who are working on the ground and on the internet are finding ways to join French and Dutch speakers. They have virtually no pan-Belgian media, so the effort has to start very small. And I've heard of one which is primarily aimed at Flandre, which is called Adopter Valonie. Religion is also upset by language. A turn of phrase used by an evangelical friend might get our back up. I get particularly flustered when some of my more enthusiastic Christian acquaintances say they're going to pray about a situation rather than ponder, ruminate over, or even just think about it. Arguments are sparked over calling a communion service mass, even bigger ones about whether praise Allah means the same as praise God. The very use of the word God can cause problems, even in a liberal religious community such as our own. Perhaps this is caused by uncertainty about what the speaker really means, and by extension, what the hearer's doubts are about God. There's a joke that in some Unitarian communities, the only time one hears Jesus mentioned is when somebody falls down the stairs to the loo. In a case for God, Karen Armstrong spends much time addressing various linguistic issues, even if indirectly. Some of this is devoted to an exposition of the use and history of the word belief. Today it's become a bit of a mouthwash word kidnapped by the traditional church and the media. The latter often describes people of religion as believers, as if it's a major activity, and the former, the church, disguise dogma as belief. It comes from an old word, which means to promise or to commit, and is still used like that in Dutch, where it's belova, and Swedish, where it's lova. In the former, the verb to believe is quite similar, but in Swedish it's totally different. It's tro, which is like the archaic English word troth, which we might still pledge to each other at a wedding, meaning faith or belief. 
An address about language wouldn't be complete without a tiny lesson. I promise there'll be no verbs and no subjunctive. Swedish is a cousin to English, and it's very close. Some people describe it as ordfattig, or word poor. But I would disagree. It has wonderful words for things which we just don't have in English. If you imagine sitting and closing your eyes very tightly, it's blunda. It's a sweet word. But there are some very useful things for our purposes. There are two words for peace. There's freyed, which is world peace. United Nations, hopefully, kind of peace. And then there's freed. Freed is that peace Paulo Coelho was writing about. That inner serenity. That it takes a long time to find. And in the blessing which we'll use at the end of the service and share with the Swedish church, it's a very traditional blessing. We wish each other both kinds of peace. Another distinction which Swedish makes and is absent in English is that there's two kinds of his and her. To say he kissed his wife does not carry the tacit own wife that it does in English. He could have kissed anyone's wife. He could get into trouble. We need to be more specific in Swedish, so we have a reflexive possessive. And this confuses even native speakers. But it's very useful when we're talking about God. Because when you use this possessive, it takes away the gender of the owner. Again, in the blessing, we are faced with the English, May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The sin and sit remove gender altogether. So God becomes neutral. But not in a way which takes away the power from our heart, but in a way which can bring him or her home to every single heart. Amen.